A couple more weeks of salt and light, and this uh, sermon series is leading up to Serve Sunday. This is what it's all about. Last year, we talked about the neighboring life, the neighboring church. Um, this is what we are called to be. This is who we are. And if you've ever questioned your role, your mandate, your mission, go no further than Matthew 5. Every week we've been coming back to this. This is the message translation uh, where Jesus calls his disciples around him, as well as those on uh, the mountain where his, he gave his first sermon. And he said this, he said, you're here to be light. So if you are asking that question, what is the big picture for me? What's the big picture? What, what plan does God have for my life? Look no further. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. I'm putting you on a light stand. This is Jesus talking to those who are following him. He says, I'm putting you in a prominent place, and your role is to shine. Shine the light of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not talking just theoretical, oh, this little light of mine. I'm, you know, it goes deeper than that. There's a practical outworking for you and for me. This is what we're called to do. We've arrived at a couple of conclusions over these last number of weeks. The first one is this, is that God does not need you and me to accomplish this fully. God is capable of doing this all by himself. It's not like God woke up one day and said, hmm, ah. I kind of got other things to do, you know, I got to look after this and that and, you know, this whole climate thing, it's giving me a headache, I need somebody else to do this. No. God is fully capable of managing this and doing this and, and executing this himself. However, he has chosen in his providence and in his, in his, in his choosing, he has ordained, he has chosen, he has picked you and me, empowered us to be the conduit through which he brings his grace and life and truth to this world. Amen. He has chosen us. And when we do that, when, when we respond to his call and we act, so when we say yes and when we move, and you see this all through scripture, when we respond with an affirmative yes and we move the way he wants us to move, supernatural things take place. Supernatural things happen. Over and over and over again. Try it. Just try it. Hear from the Lord. Say yes to what He wants you to do. Move in that direction and watch out. Watch out. So that's one conclusion we've come at. The second one is this. And that is in crisis, in these collisions of life, when things don't work out, whether it's storms, whether it's chaos, confusion, what have you, we are called to add value in those situations. Christ followers in those situations of chaos, crisis, and confusion are called to add value. And so often we're sitting back just going, I don't know what to do. I, you know, call the pastor. You know, there's got to be somebody who's capable of handling that. No, you know what? In that given point, you just heard Adam saying, didn't know what to do. I just said yes. And you're called to add value, and God wants to use you. And we'll go even a step further, and you heard me talk about this last week. It's not just in the chaos and confusion and the collisions of life. There's, there's just the regular life, mundane routine of life that God wants you to add value in as well. 
And I want you to think of the span of your week that lies ahead of you, those places where God is going to have you. He's going to lead you. He's going to direct you. How are you going to add value? The, the, <laughs> you're probably sitting there, when I ask that question, you're probably going, well, I don't know. Well, you know what? That's, that's not a bad thing. Because the answer isn't how you're going to do it. The answer is if you're going to do it. Is the answer yes? And will you say yes and will you simply move in the direction that he wants you to and watch what he does? Turn over your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 verses 46 and we're going to read on from there. But verse 46 of John 4. Not quite yet, but... uh, um, this past summer, Dana and I um, were up in Colorado, and uh, we just dropped Gabe off at a running camp up there, and we were having a little uh, um, couple time, um, a little uh, retreat, a little vacation without kids, uh, like many of you uh, hopefully get from time to time. And uh, so we found ourselves, we went out for dinner one night, and uh, it was just gorgeous, absolutely amazing. We were in Colorado Springs. And we're in this restaurant, we were overlooking Pikes Peak, uh, overlooking Garden of the Gods, Um, gorgeous night, perfect temperature, and uh, uh, so we sit down, Uh, the server comes, uh, you know, puts the the silverware down, and uh, you know, it's wrapped in in the cloth napkins, it's not paper napkins, cloth napkins, and it's actually, uh, um, you know, metal silverware, silverware, you know, not plastic stuff. Um, so, you know, it's just it's great, uh, fills the water glasses. Um, it, we had this table that was just kind of right on the edge, uh, inside, outside. Big doors were open to the outside, fresh breeze coming through. We sit down, the appetizers, delicious, and, and the main course comes, and we're just having a great time. Um, there's no screaming kids. Um, there's, uh, the temperature is just perfect. Uh, the music, the, the background music is just that right level where you're enjoying it and yet it's not distracting. Everything is just perfect. So we're sitting there, we're having a conversation and the server keeps coming up to us over and over. Can I, you know, can I do anything? Do you need anything? And we'd look at each other and go, nope, we're, we're good. You know, over and over, you know, five minutes later, you know, can I get you anything? No, we're good. No, we're good, we're good. Have you ever been in that place you know, where just everything is great? It's just almost perfect. There's, there's no needs that you have. And over and over and over, the server's coming back. Can I, can I do anything for you? Can I get you anything? Do you need anything? We're like, no. Can I just tell you that that is not a picture of the world that God sent his son into? That is the complete opposite of this world that God sent His Son into. We don't live in a world where the server comes up to us and says, do you need anything? We go, no, no, we're we're taken care of. Any given day, there are needs. Any given day, there are outstanding items on our list that, that we would like taken care of. And if, if we had a server that came up to us tomorrow at 9 in the morning and said, can I get you anything? I'm sure you'd have a shopping list. I know I would. Um, could you, by the way, could you take care of this and, and this? And, the, and not just the, 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 the superficial stuff. We're talking big stuff. There is a huge need that we have in our world Here in John 4 is another example of that. 
All through scripture you have these evidences, all these stories, but here's one in John 4 where not everything was okay and there was a need. It says in verse 46, as Jesus traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine. That was where his first, uh, um, his first miracle took place. So he's in Canaan. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come to Judea, to Galilee, from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So here's a need. Here is somebody who's coming and saying, there is a need. And this isn't just superficial. This isn't just, hey, I got a flat tire. Hey, it'd be nice to have a little more money in the bank. No, this is a sick child who's about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Verse 50, then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Goes on to say, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then his father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. Here's this, this encounter that takes place. Jesus is in this place. He's healing people. And this, this man comes up and says, Jesus, I have a need. Uh, will you meet it? And immediately Jesus speaks into the situation and changes things, changes the situation, takes something that was not and makes it as it is, takes a sick boy and heals the boy. Now, the, the man whose boy was sick had no concrete evidence that that had taken place with the exception of the peace that came through that encounter with Jesus in that very moment. And you say, well, well, Darren, he went home, he didn't find out that his boy was healed until he got you know, halfway home, three quarters of the way home, and his servants met him. How do you know that there was this peace that he had and that he understood? Well, let me explain this to you, is that between Cana and Capernaum, it's 17 miles we're told that the next day is when the man, the man gets close to home or a partial way home and finds out from his servants who had been making their way toward him to tell him the news that he finds out. They tell him that it was yesterday, the day before at one in the afternoon, in which the boy was healed. And you go, okay, well, um, didn't, it says the man left and he, he went home. Well, 17 miles, even for slow walkers, does not take 20 to 24 hours. If you started here and went on a 17-mile journey right now, you'd get there, give or take, five to seven hours. That's about as long as it's going to take. So what we can conclude from this is that even though the man left Jesus at that moment, he didn't get up and rush home. 
And what we can conclude is that there was this peace and this understanding that his boy was okay and his boy was well. We're not told that there was shock and awe that his, his servants reported to him that the, the boy was well. And in fact, there's, it's, it's almost like it was a non-issue and he was more interested in when this happened rather than the fact that it did happen. So we have a man who encounters Jesus and he asks for Jesus to meet a need and immediately there is peace. Immediately there's change of situation evidenced by the fact that he didn't go running home or sprinting home to get there and find out the fact that the news was true. No, there was a peace and this is what Jesus brings. And I want you to know today that this is what you bring to settings and situations. We've talked about the last few weeks that as Jesus went up to heaven before he did, he passed the torch to his disciples. He passed the torch to his followers and he says, you know what? This has been my task up until now. This has been my role up until now. This has been my responsibility up until now. But now I'm sending you to do this. And you know what? You're going to do it much more, not effectively, but in much greater ways than I ever did. You're going to see much greater things accomplished, much greater impact than I ever had while I was walking this earth. This is what you bring now. That is the aroma that you deliver, the light, the flavor, the coloring, the seasoning of Christ in crisis, in storms, in these needs. Remember, this is the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. This one that Jesus initiated that now belongs to you and to me. Changing lives, adding value, bringing peace, stirring hope. This is what you bring into the situations of day-to-day -day lives. You see, everyone has a need. Everyone has a need. Like I said, I don't know if any of us would be sitting at the table of life right now and saying, no, everything's taken care of. I'm good. There's, a, there's an emptiness within each and every one of us. There's a deficiency within each and every one of our lives, almost representative of a, of a water bottle. There's a, a space, there's a gap that is not filled. Could you say that this, this bottle is filled? Yeah, that it's, fill, it's full of water. Well, it's not full. It, it's less than full. And every single person's life is representative of this. This side of heaven, we will walk through this life with a, a level of emptiness in our lives. There is a gap. There is a space. Every single person has a gap. No one's cup is entirely full. There's emptiness, unfulfilled dreams, there's fear, there's worry, there's sickness, there's physical impairments, there's pain. We could go on. In Scripture we see story after story, Jesus encountering people with needs. Many times it was physical. Many times it was spiritual. There were times it was beyond that. You think of the story of the rich young ruler. For him, he seemed to have it all. And yet there was still an emptiness that Jesus exposed. 
Think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He, he came across this man who had been reading Scripture and he was hungry. There was this spiritual hunger and yet he, there was this emptiness of, of he needed somebody to explain it to him. There was a need. There was, there was a need for someone to come along and, and bring the light and life of Christ. You think of Solomon's life in the Old Testament. A person who had it all. Not a need in the world or so you'd think. He himself remarked that he denied himself nothing. He refused his heart, no pleasure, and yet there was still an emptiness, there was still a void, there was this gap. And this is the, this is the, the case in our Western society. It's been all through history, but, but particularly now in our Western society where we seem to have it all and yet we are missing so much. The, the, the drive is to feel good or to, to eliminate pain or discomfort or, or eliminate those things of crisis in our lives. And we try to do that with acquisitions and possessions. If we can just pump up our self-esteem enough and our self-worth enough, maybe it'll ebb away all of that anxiety and that worry. We try to eliminate the needs and we try to cram that void full of everything and anything we can get our hands on. Whether it's stuff or whether it's experiences. If only I could experience this. If only I could just kind of numb the pain of my life by experiencing something of bliss or joy. We chase relationships. We seek comfort and Things that are not of God. And in the end, we still find ourselves lacking. Ever experienced that? Ever experienced that? It's something that's not just for those who don't know Christ. It's something that each and every one of us struggles with. Even with Christ in our lives, can you imagine how much more amplified that is when Christ isn't the center of your life? And that is the world in which we're called to speak and to influence and to bless. That's our world. And hear me, church, that's the point of contact. That is the place where Christ has called you and Christ has called me. Where hope intersects need. The hope and light and life of Christ intersects the need and the hurt and the pain and the confusion of this world. There is an answer to what ails this world. And His name is Jesus Christ. And we bring His colors, His aroma, His seasoning wherever we go. And this isn't a new thing. Throughout history, this has been the case since the beginning of time, when, since sin entered the world. There's a man back in the 17th century. He was a French mathematician, physicist, religious philosopher. His name was Blaise Pascal. Many of you know the name. He laid the foundation for modern day theory of probabilities. He wrote this book, I'll call it a book, it's in a book form, but it's a compilation of thoughts, and it's called Penzies, which in French is the word thought, or thoughts, or thinking. And it's just this, these random, this collection of random thoughts and, and ideas and, and things that came to his mind, and in one of his famous quotations from Penzies, he says this, 
He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness or in humanity a true happiness of which all that now remains is, is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable, which means unchanging, object. In other words, by God himself. So what he's saying is there's this void, there's this gap, there's this space, but it's not defined by, by the, the constraints of a, of a, a flask or a container. It's, in fact, an endless abyss of needs, and this endless abyss of needs can only be filled by an endless and all-encompassing and never-ending God. We try to stuff this void full of things that are finite and limited. And what he's saying is it will always fall short. And if we're trying to do it, that is representative of the world that we live in. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your relatives who do not know Jesus Christ are trying to plug physical, finite things into this infinite abyss in their lives, this emptiness, this hole. Our realization and our experience and our revelation is that we've allowed Christ to come in and fill it in our lives. And this is the message that we have for our world around us. You see, it's not difficult. It's not hard. It's not confusing. It's a simple message of hope. It's one throughout centuries that, that we have the opportunity of giving. Many have summed up Pascal's phrase to say this within the heart of every person is a God-shaped void. This God-shaped vacuum that, that can only be filled by God himself. This is the need, this is the cry, this is the, the, the yearning of each and every person in this world, whether they acknowledge it or not. He is the only puzzle piece that fits. I don't know if you've ever done a, a big puzzle. Now, I'm not talking about your, you know, your um, preschool puzzle that has nine pieces. For that, for some of you, that might be hard. Okay, but I'm talking those big 3,000-piece puzzles, those ones that, uh, you know, it's the landscape of Germany or something, and half of the puzzle, if not three-quarters of it, is like trees. Like, come on, <laughs> you know. And then you, you well, I was going to say you finish it. You get to this point. You've, you've spent days, you know, it's, it's covered the, the dining room table and your, your, your mother has been on your case for three, you know, for three days or however, however many days. Would you get that puzzle off my table? It's not finished yet. And you get down to this piece and you can't find the piece. You ever been there? What do you do? What do you do? Some of you just scrap it and <laughs> get another puzzle, right? No, you know, if you're me, what do you do? You get a piece of cardboard that's just the right thickness and you cut it to the right shape. You know, you kind of, and then you, you get your colored pencils out and you get your, your markers and you try to put the dots in and you try to match it up and you plug it in. And you go, 
that doesn't work. And so you do it again and again. You need something to fit, but you and I know that nothing is going to fit that hole perfectly and, and complete the picture of that puzzle except the piece itself. And you know what? As you step into a situation this afternoon, when you walk into a restaurant in half an hour, when you step into a hospital room of a loved one who is close to death, when you take somebody to a doctor's visit this week, when you walk over to the edge of your property and lay your arms on the the fence and talk to your neighbor on the other side, when you're driving out of your driveway and you stop to talk to the neighbor across the street, when you take a few extra minutes at work and you stop by the desk of that, that person who's three desks down from yours, when you take a moment away from the action at that ball game that you're at this week and you turn to the person next to you, you're bringing the puzzle piece with you. You have the puzzle piece. I don't understand all of the intricacies, all of the ways in which this works. That's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. But you have the peace that brings hope, that brings life, that brings that God flavoring, that God seasoning, the God colors to whatever the situation is. It's not hard. It's simply saying yes. It's simply saying, I don't know what this looks like. Um, hi, what's your name? That's a great start. Listening, hearing their story. Can I tell you a story of Larry? <laughs> Thursday, I got talking to family. And, and uh, Gary, who is Larry's brother-in-law, attends here too, and uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling this story, but Gary turns to me on Thursday and he says, you know, when Larry passes, I think the, the group of people who are going to miss him the most are the servers at Sonic. <laughs> okay. He says, you know, uh, worship team, why don't you come up while I'm telling this and we'll close with this. He says, uh, you know, Larry liked going to Sonic and getting, you know, a drink every once in a while. And uh, I said, yeah. And Gary said, you know what he liked even more than going to Sonic and getting a drink? And I said, no. He said, talking to the servers about Jesus. He'd make it worth their while. He'd, he'd give them an extra big tip. But he'd ask them where they went to church, and if they didn't go to church, he would take it as an opportunity to just share the love of Jesus. Just look him in the eye. And I know this from Larry because he'd look me in the eye in the same way. And just in those loving eyes, just say, You know, Jesus loves you so much. He loves you. 
Larry knew what the mandate was. He knew what the mission was. And it wasn't hard. It was bringing the light and the love of Jesus Christ into a world that's hurting, a world that has a void, people who are carrying a deep, dark, limitless void with them. Let's pray, all right? Lord Jesus, we know hurt and we know need because we're human. And yet, Lord, for most of us, if not all of us, we've, we've opened our hearts to you and allowed your limitless love to come in and fill all of that void in our lives. And Lord, we understand the struggle. We're, we're human and this side of heaven will continue to wrestle with the flesh and the spirit. And just kind of uh, trip on through life. But Lord, we thank you that we don't do that on our own and we don't navigate this in our own humanity. But uh, you, you promised to help us. Lord, you've called us to be the light in life of Christ, bringing hope and peace and assurance to this world. And Lord, right now we want to commit ourselves to you to carry out that mission. Just to say yes and to move in the direction you've called us to. Lord, help us with that. Help us with those times that we kind of check up and tap the brakes. Pray you just lovingly nudge us on. So we can see amazing things take place. Church, would you stand with me? I want to just collectively pray one more prayer. And that's this for those people who will be on the receiving end of us bringing. Last week we talked about our responsibility is bringing. Our responsibility is not the reception. But Lord, we pray for those right now who will receive the message, who will receive the gift, who will receive and see the light and life of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that you would bind the powers of the evil one, bind the powers of the enemy who would want to... to uh, shut their eyes and close their ears I pray there would be reception and there would be peace that comes just like the the man whose son was ill that in that moment that Jesus you spoke there was peace that was evidenced so Lord we, we pray for those who would uh, receive even today change lives we love you Lord we're so grateful for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.